If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to open them to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, first Gospel of the New Testament, chapter 8, and we will look at verses 23 through, uh, through 27. Uh, Vacation Bible School week just came to a close, and uh, the emphasis for the week was navigating life through faith, navigating life through faith. And so last week, uh, we took a look at a passage found in Psalm 73 and talked about our doubts and how do you restore faith that defeats doubt. And as we navigate through life, uh, there are doubts that come along the way. But how do we take this faith that we have in God and let's restore it to such a point that it will defeat those doubts? And and so to kind of close out uh, this uh, sort of a bookends of our Vacation Bible School, today I want us to take a look uh, at an incident that took place with Jesus and His disciples, and it talks about storms and little faith. And how through the storms, God can take our little faith and begin to strengthen our faith. If you have your Bibles, I want to to read through this passage. Uh, Jesus has been teaching. He's there along the Sea of Galilee. He's been in Capernaum and uh, has uh, there been teaching and healing. And then he's stepping out on a boat. In fact, in verse 18, it says, Now when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side gave orders to go to the other side. So they're here, and and if you look at the Sea of Galilee, he's at Capernaum, and he's wanting to just head to uh, to the other side. And then in verse 23, it says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went, and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he rose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? Now, I want us to look at this passage, Storms and Little Faith. Let's look at the storms. And I want us to get some general principles of life storms that we get right here from this passage. And the very first principle is this, and that is that storms will come. There are no guarantees of a smooth life. Storms will come. There is no guarantee. There are no guarantees that we will have a smooth life. Now, they had a great day of teaching Disciples hanging out with Jesus. He's healing people. He's teaching them about, about God and teaching about His love, helping them to better understand uh, who He is. And then He looks at His disciples and said, let's get in the boat, and we want to get in the boat, and let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Everything seems like it's exactly the way it should be. And then all of a sudden, when you get to verse 24, it says, behold, there arose a great storm on the sea a great storm on the sea. Now, this great storm, New Testament was written in Greek, and we've got it in, in, in the original language is Greek language, and great storm, it says it's seismus megas, seismus megas. Sounds like a transformer uh, character, doesn't it? <laughs> seismus megas is coming over here. But it was seismus megas. Now, when you think of seismus, you think about seismic activity, agitation, earthquake, a lot of things going on. Mega, when you think of mega, 
Yeah, extra large Coke, mega meal. You're thinking mega, big, huge. Well, this was a mega, big, huge storm, seismic. I mean, it's like earthquake. I mean, things are just happening. Water is coming over the boat. I mean, this is kind of like the mother of all storms. And so when it says that it was being swamped by the water, it means that water was coming over into the boat. And, and these sailors, these men, these fishermen who knew this sea, who were experts here, were in fear. And they understood that any time you came onto the Sea of Galilee, it was ripe for these type of storms just because they had the mountains and the way the cooler air meets the warmer air. And they had experienced storms before, but it's almost like this was one that they hadn't. It was of a tremendous magnitude. So what we need to understand about life storms is that storms will disrupt your life, and they are going to happen. You see, when you become a Christian, you're not guaranteed to a smooth, no-hassles, no-problem life. You will encounter storms, even with Jesus in the boat. Because all these men did was they did exactly what Jesus told them to do, and they're sitting on a boat, and now they hit a storm. We need to understand that when you make a decision for Christ, it doesn't mean that you've got a card that you can play that says no more hassles, no more problems, everything's going to be smooth. Not at all. Storms will come. And secondly, storms will come unexpectedly. Storms will come unexpectedly. In verse 24, it says, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. I mean, there just arose from this. And it means that the disciples had not foolishly set out in the storm. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. He said, I want you to follow me. I want you to get into the boat. They followed him. They got into the boat. And he said, we're going to the other side. They said, that's where we're going to head. And then all of a sudden, this mega storm happened. Storms will come unexpectedly. Now, whenever people take trips uh, to, the, uh, to the Holy Land, Whenever they come back, they say that uh, they read Scripture differently because now they've been able to kind of put a name with a face. They've been able to put, uh, put some uh, uh, recognition to some of the places that they're talking about. And nowhere was this uh, drilled into my conscience than was the Sea of Galilee. And I believe it was the first trip that we ever took to the Holy Land and took some of our, our members. And we did mission work on the first part of the week, and then we had an opportunity to do some sightseeing. And one of the things that we did is that we were over on the side of the uh, Sea of Galilee that Jesus was wanting to go to. And we'd had lunch, and then we got on a boat, and we were going to travel to Capernaum. So we're going right across the Sea of Galilee. How cool is that? And so we get in the boat. It's a nice day. And, uh, and as we're in the boat and we're traveling, we start going across, and kind of starts clouding a little bit, just a little bit overcast winds picking up and blowing a little bit and we're getting about halfway across it's blowing more and as we are continuing our trip the wind has picked up unbelievably I mean it's blowing like crazy and we've got some of our members on the boat and we had talked about this passage we talked about this passage kind of right we're getting on the boat and, and sort of that devotional thought and uh over here and jesus stood up and said peace be still i can still see one of our members we're in the midst of this and he says stand up and say peace be still pastor <laughs> i said i don't have that ability i'm sorry i i can't do that but i was in a boat that i felt was pretty safe but i got to tell you got a little bit on the scary side 
because the winds were blowing so hard until we could get over to the other side and get off the boat. And so it made me think about these men who were in a boat that probably wasn't as sturdy or strong as the one that we were in. And to think that not only the wind was running, but the waves were coming up, the seismic activity of how scary that would be and how unexpectedly it came. When we got on the boat, the wind was hardly even blowing. But by the time we got partway out there, it was blowing at gale force wind. That is an unexpected storm. And this just happens in life. Troubles will come into our lives that blindside us. They come by surprise. Just when you think everything's going great, you receive the phone call from the doctor. Just when you think your job's doing great, your boss summons you in the office. Just when you've got in your house and you feel things are good, you get a phone call and it says, that termite damage is going to cost this. And you go, oh. You know, you pick it. It will come and it will blindside us. Storms will happen. Storms will come unexpectedly. But then storms also cause us to ask God, do you care? Whenever a storm comes in our life as a believer, oftentimes it will cause us to ask, do you care? Look at verse 25. In verse 25, it says, and, and they went and they woke him because Jesus was asleep. And they said, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now, Jesus was asleep. You say, serious? He was asleep. Yes. Mark chapter uh, 4, verse 38, talks about this same incident, and this is what Mark says. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And so there's one place on the boat, on the stern, where there was a cushion, where he was exhausted. He's sleeping, and the storm's going all over the place. The, the disciples are panicking. And they look to him, and they rouse him, and they wake him up, and they're telling him, do you care? They're asking this question, do you care? In fact, he says here, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are drowning? And just when you look at those words, there's a rudeness and a rebuke in their words. It's not a, hey, don't you care that we're drowning? No, it's a rebuke on there. Don't you care that we're drowning? Wake up. And then the, in the Matthew gospel, it says, save us. Save us. We're perishing here. Save us. They're battling for their lives, and it seems like that Jesus doesn't care because he's sleeping. Now, I've shared this before. Anytime we've looked at this passage of scriptures, the question that came to me, and that is, why did they waken Jesus, and what did they think he could do? Because if you look from Matthew chapter 1 through Matthew chapter 8, and you're trying to look at it as a disciple and say, okay, who is this person, Jesus? What do we know about him? He's a carpenter. We know he can heal the sick, and we know he can cast out demons, and he says he can forgive sins. Now, which of those four things are helpful when you're in a boat in a storm? Zero. They weren't caused by demons, so we don't need a demon caster outer. Nobody is sick. <laughs> we may get seasick in a minute, but no one's sick that needs healing, right? He's a carpenter. We don't need any carpenter work that's getting ready to take place on the boat. You say you can forgive sins, but this isn't going to help us right now because we're just fighting for our lives. But in the midst of all of this, he's the one that they woke up and said, you save us. Save us. And you see, whenever a storm comes, we ask the question, do you care? Because with that rudeness in their words is, do you not care that we're perishing? Do something. They had no idea what he could do. You say, oh, Danny, 
I, I think they, they thought he would calm the storm. No way. They'd never seen him do that. In fact, if you listen to when we read the Scripture, whenever he did it, they marveled, were astonished, and said, what kind of man is this? They had absolutely no idea that's what he would do. But you see, what they did is they woke him up because he was their leader. He was the Messiah. And so they had confidence he could do something, but they were unsure exactly what it is that he could do. So they had this uncertainty about what he could do, and then apparently he didn't really care for them and didn't really want to get involved because he was asleep. And so they've got these mixed emotions. And when we go through the storms of life, we have a tendency to make that same rebuke because as soon as something goes wrong, our first response is, Lord, don't you care? Jesus, why don't you do something? I'm in the middle of this storm, and my question is, is why aren't you doing something? And why don't you care? For these men, Jesus seemed indifferent to their safety and their hour of danger, and at times he seems indifferent to our situation. And we ask the question, why don't you do something? Why don't you step in and do something? There's a malignancy, loss of a job, infertility, illness of a child, failed marriage. Do you not care? Will you not do something? You see, whenever a storm comes, it causes us to ask that question. And sometimes it's not asking a question, it's accusing and saying, Lord, don't you care? And that's the way they felt about Jesus. Lord, don't you care that we're perishing and we're drowning? But that brings you to the fourth principle, and that is that storms can be calmed by Jesus. Storms can be calmed by Jesus. In verse 26, he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he rose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. I love that. Great, it's that mega word. It went from a mega storm to a mega calm. And what happened is that Jesus stood up, and the sovereign Lord of the universe looked up, and he spoke, and he said, peace be still. According to the book of Mark, he says, peace be still. And that translation means, be still, be quiet, and stay quiet. And nature says, okay. And all of a sudden, it says, it became a great calm. I love that it says the great calm. When Jesus told the winds and the waves to stop, they stopped. It didn't say, and then the wind died down, and it wasn't quite as bumpy a ride to get to the other side. It said there was a great calm. And all of a sudden, there was this amazing calm. Yeah, Jesus can. He can stand up, and he can calm the storms. And I've got good news for you today is he can apply that same power to whatever storm you're encountering, and he can calm the storm and give you both relief and victory. Storms on the inside and then circumstantial storms on the outside. He can calm the storm. He is that same powerful Jesus. But then also the last principle we see on storms is that storms can make us more aware of our little faith. Because the first thing he said to them, oh you of little faith, why are you afraid? Oh you of little faith. It's interesting, little faith uh, we have it as two words in our, in our English. In Greek, it's one word. It's just one word. It's little faith. And it's one word, little faith. And so it's like he's looking at him and saying, hey, little faith. <laughs> hey, you, little faith. Why are you little faith? Why are you little faith? 
Well, I was kind of intrigued by that phrase. You looked up and see when did Jesus use this and, and uh, different times. It could be four or six times that he used it. But every time he used it, he used it with his disciples. Now, isn't that interesting? The people you would think would have the greatest amount of faith would be the guys that spent the most time with Jesus. But yet they were the only ones that he ever used that phrase with, oh, you of little faith, oh, you of little faith. Because the fact that they are with him means that they should have a greater faith. And so he kind of calls them out on it. And he says, oh, you of little faith. And then he does something. You see, little faith, let's talk about that. Little faith. Our little faith grows as we trust Jesus in his, and then we'll just sort of fill in the blank. Our little faith grows as we trust him, first of all, in his provisions. We trust him in his provisions. God allows different storms to come into our lives so that we can take that little faith and help it grow to a larger faith. In Matthew 6, it was the sermon in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the, uh, and in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verse 30, he says this. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When life is tough, and you're not sure how you're going to make it, and all the worries began to pile up, and the needs began to grow, this is a storm that Jesus has allowed to come into your life, and he asked you the question, how great is your faith in my ability to provide for you? And in rather than you being anxious for everything, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So when you go through the storm of provisions or lack of, it is during that storm that he comes alongside and he speaks to each one of us and says, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then these things will be added unto you? So little faith grows as we trust Jesus in not only his provisions, but also in his person. Trust him in his person. Matthew 14 is the story, and we talked about this in the Unexpected Jesus series, of when, the, when Jesus walked on the water to get to his disciples. Again, it was a storm, one of the magnitude of this other one, but they were on the, their boat wasn't making much progress, and so Jesus left and walked on the water. When he walked on the water, Peter looked at him and said, hey, can I come out and, and walk to you? He said, sure, come on out. The water's fine. And he comes out, and he takes a step, and he begins to walk, and then he begins to sink. And when Peter sinks, Jesus reaches down, takes his hand, and he says, it's like, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And as he picks up Peter, and they walk together, and they sit in the boat, and they continue to have this, this conversation, he is wanting Peter to realize who he is, that Jesus truly is the I am. And that Peter needed to learn from this that you don't need to doubt me. You need to stand on the promises of God. You need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't let the circumstances of this world take you off course. And he used this, this storm was a perfect opportunity to teach Peter these things. And to teach him this faith. And he says, you're going to need this because times are, already, are going to get tougher on down the road. 
And so sometimes there will be, a t- be storms to where what Jesus wants us to do is just to see his person, who he is. He is the great I am. He is the son of God. And he says, no doubts, you can trust me. But also I think he, times he wants us to see his power. And little faith, faith grows as we begin to trust his power. And this is what happened in this passage here in Matthew. Because all of a sudden, he stands up, and when he stands up and he tells the storm to stop, look what happens in verse uh, 26. In verse 26, it says, Then he rose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? It was like one of these whoa, dude moments. (laughs) Whoa, dude, what just happened? I mean, they marveled over him. And they said, what just happened here? He took this great storm, he turned it into a great calm, and now all of a sudden it's turned into a great amazement among these disciples. They were marveling over the power, and they had seen Jesus do a lot of things. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him cast out demons. They'd seen him get in, in discussions with people and, and, and be able to handle himself really well and, and talk about the things of God like they'd never seen before. But never had they seen this take place. You say, well, Danny, why would this stand out as being something so important? Well, these guys had a pretty good understanding of the Old Testament. In Psalm 89, verse 9, this is what it says. You are the one, talking about God, you are the one who rules the oceans. And when their waves rise in fearful storms, you subdue them. Only God does that. Only God controls the oceans. Only God can subdue the waves and the wind. And yet, all of a sudden, they just saw it happen with Jesus. And if you looked in Psalm 107, in Psalm 107, just takes this a little bit further in verses 23 through 32. Now, think about the story we've just covered, just incident of Jesus calming the storm. And now listen to what the psalmist says In verse 23, he says, Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths, and their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. They just lived out Psalm 107. They lived out Psalm 107, and they were there on the boat, and Jesus did what only God could do, and that was he took a great storm and made it a great calm. So in the midst of this storm, Jesus revealed himself in a mighty way, and he stretched their understanding of who he was. It was amazing. It amazed them, and it even terrified them as they realized that Jesus was more than just a Messiah that we were, we were praying to come who could heal and cast out demons. He was Lord over nature. And if you looked back in, uh, in Matthew 7, 28, it says they were astonished at his teachings, and now they're marveling at 
and amazed at who he was. They went from astonished by his teachings to amazed as to who he was. That was his power. And how did they know that? It was all because of a storm. And because that storm came, they saw him in a way that they'd never seen him before. And so this little faith begins to grow. Because Jesus has said, I will reveal myself in both provisions and in my person and in my power. But the very last thing is his presence, is in his presence. You know, in verse 26, he said, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? He rebuked them. Always struggled with that. And the reason I did, because if I'm sitting on that boat and it's one of these mega storms and the boat's going this way and that way and water's coming over and I've been on this lake most of my life and I've never seen a storm as bad as this and I'm scared for my life and then I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fearful and there's Jesus and I'm, I'm sort of uh, rebuking him saying, don't you care, can't you do something for us? And then he looks up at me and says, Danny, why were you scared? Why was I scared? What do you mean, why was I scared? <laughs> Did you not see all the water that was coming in on this boat? Did you not see the, the, feel the wind and see the waves? What do you mean? He says, why were you afraid? Why were you afraid? My whole question would be, why should I not be, be, be afraid on this? And really the whole answer to this, why are you afraid? Or why should you not be afraid is because of the presence of Jesus. He was there. And he says, this storm is different than any other storm you've been a part of because on this storm, I'm in the boat with you. Every other storm that you've had on here, it's just been you guys, but I'm right here. Jesus is in the boat. And I, Jesus, am the Lord of the wind and the waves. And in essence, Jesus is saying, when we got on the boat, do you remember what I told you? We're going to the other side. Now, if I told you, as the Lord of the wind and the waves, that we're going to the other side, then we're going to get to the other side. Now, I didn't promise you it'd be an easy trip, but I did promise a guaranteed arrival at the destination. And so in the midst of the difficulty in the trip, you don't need to be afraid. Because the Lord of the wind and the waves is here on the boat. The Lord of the wind and the waves said, this is where we're going to go, and we're going to reach that destination. And then also you realize that he wasn't panicking. He was sleeping. And he wasn't sleeping because of indifference, but he was sleeping because he was in control. He says, I've got this thing. And that's why I can rest over here. But as this is where it comes down to, the disciples needed Jesus to do things, and Jesus wanted them to trust him. The disciples wanted Jesus to do things, but Jesus wanted them to trust them. Jesus wanted them to know that his very presence was all that they needed to survive. And oftentimes our focus is on Jesus doing something when his desire is that we trust him and rest in him, that his presence is enough. And folks, I can't tell you how important this is. Because yes, every one of us, when we went into a storm, we would hope that it was like a genie in a bottle that we could rub it and say, hey, Jesus, come and take care of this. And boom, he shows up and everything works out. Wouldn't it be great? That's what we want life to be. But it's not. Because Jesus says, all you want is me just to do something. What I want you to do is to trust me for who I am and to love me for who I am. 
and to have faith in me for who I am. I am the Son of God. I am the one that's going to the cross to die for your sins. I am the one that will be resurrected from the dead. I am the one that will conquer sin and death and provide you an opportunity to come into a relationship with your heavenly Father and for you to be able to live out the purposes for which you are created. I want you to have faith in that Jesus. And once you receive Christ as Savior, it says His Holy Spirit comes into you and His presence is with you 24-7. And so as you're going through a storm, there's not a problem for us to pray and say, oh Lord, please do this or this. But we also need to come back and say, but your presence is enough. I need your presence. Because you see, you're not always going to operate off of my timetable. You're not going to work all these things out just like I want you to. And to keep me from being so frustrated with that, I need to come back and rest on the fact that your presence is there. You care for me, Lord, and you're right there on the boat with me. And nothing in this storm is taking you by surprise. And you're going to walk with me through this whole time. And really the second statement is God does not promise exemption from the storm, but protection through the storm. God does not promise exemption from the storm, but protection through the storm. One of the most familiar passages of Scripture is the 23rd Psalm. And in the 23rd Psalm, we see that we serve a God who walks with us through all things. And it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. I'm walking right through the valley of the shadow of death, and I will fear no evil. Why is that? It says, because you are with me. Psalm 46 says, God, you are my refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. You're my refuge, you're my strength and ever-present help in trouble. You see, sometimes the Lord does not calm the storm, but he will calm you. He will not always bring peace to your circumstances, but he does bring peace to your spirit. And the greatest faith is shown when God brings a peace to your spirit and not to your circumstances. The greatest faith is shown when God brings a peace to your spirit and not to your circumstances. Now, is it a greater testimony to go through trouble with a heart of peace as God strengthens you throughout or to have God remove the trouble? In either one, he is glorified. And there are times, and we've got testimonies, to where God comes in those circumstances. He shows up and he removes those sources of trouble. and We praise God over that. But there are other times in our lives to where we walk through life storms and the waves just keep battering us and the wind just keeps blowing. And it just seems those things don't go away. But yet we see that the presence of God is enough. The presence of God is enough. And there's some inner strength there that amazes you. In both of those, there's a testimony. It's however he works. But you see, our goal is to get to the point to where his presence is enough. Just having Jesus in the boat is enough. We should not base our faith on him removing the trouble, but we should gain strength with the knowledge that he is ever present and that he has the power to remove that if he so wills. Jesus wanted the disciples to have such a faith in him that they could have an inner peace in the midst of the storms because of his presence. Because see, he knew that one day, his physical presence would be gone. And they would be relying on the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there would be storms of persecution and that would be coming on them that would be beyond anything they could have imagined. 
And he said, you've got to get to the point to where you feel confident in who you serve and the master you serve and you believe in who I am and you go by leadership of the Holy Spirit that he will strengthen you through those storms. He's getting them ready. The circumstances were bad and they were scary, but a strong faith in Christ is there even in the face of death. And for us, as we live in 2018, we have all kinds of storms that brew. Some storms just come just because we go through different um, chapters of life. Some storms come because of the direction where our culture is going. And when you're in the midst of all of this and, and all these storms are raging, so what Satan would love to do is just to take you down to where you're destroyed by those storms. But what our Lord is telling us is this, hey, these storms are not unexpected. They're going to come. But he wants to give us a great reminder. If you're a follower of Christ, he's in the boat with you. He said, I'm right here with you. And not only am I right here, but I am sovereign over everything. And during this storm, don't use this as a time to park your relationship with me. Use this storm as a time to deepen your relationship with me. And you're going to get to the point to where just the sweetness of the presence of Jesus is enough. And then we're going to together see how we can navigate through this storm. We'll navigate, and we'll get it to the other, other side. But wouldn't it be great that as you navigate that storm, and all of a sudden you come to the end of the storm, and everybody says, oh, aren't you glad those circumstances are, are, are different or worked out? Wouldn't it be wonderful that each of us could look back and say, yeah, that's good, but let me tell you, man, what I learned with my walk with my Savior, I wouldn't trade it. There's a sweetness to our relationship. There's a depth to our relationship. And then God says, let's continue this journey. And if I see far enough, I see there's some more clouds coming up here, and I see some heavy winds, but we'll take this together. And we're going to be ready for it because we're even stronger in our relationship here. You know, he is getting them all prepared because this leads us right into the final part of our service, and that's the Lord's Supper, is that he sits down with his disciples, and as he walks through this Passover meal with them, in the book of John, in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And these men did not fully understand that at that time, but they would in the days ahead. And there was that time where Jesus pulls them together at their Passover meal and it's the final meal that he would eat with them before he goes to the cross. And it's that day in which that later that evening he will be arrested. And then as he's arrested, he'll be beaten. He'll be unfairly tried. And the verdict will be crucifixion. And that next day, he'll be crucified on a cross. And for six hours, be suspended between heaven and earth. And to know even in his own words, he could call 10,000 angels to come, a legions of angels to come, and, and he could have come off that cross, but he didn't because he loved us. And that was his purpose. He was sent to die for our sins. And so he took all of our sins, all the mistakes that we've ever made, and he said, I, as holy, righteous Son of God, will pay for those sins. And he paid for them. 
And then as they took his body down from the cross and they wrapped him, prepared him for burial, and they placed him in a tomb and they rolled that stone there. And uh, the Roman government put soldiers there to protect so no one would steal the body. And then that Sunday morning, Sunday morning, God rolled back that stone. Didn't anybody else do that? God rolled back the stone. He didn't roll back the stone so Jesus could come out. He just rolled the stone back so everybody could look in and say, hey, he's not here. And there's the angel. And he tell those early followers who came and saw him and said, hey, he's not here. He's arisen, just like he said he would. And he rose from the dead and appeared to well over 500 people. And as it was here for those weeks, pouring into his disciples, he then ascended to heaven. And as he ascended to heaven, he gave them that great commission of to go and be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. And then he said, you know, one day I'm coming back, and I'm coming back. It's not going to be as a child. It's not going to be as a carpenter. It's going to be a conquering king, and I will be back. But in the meantime, I'm leaving with you a helper, a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And every time, whenever, whenever we pray and we ask Christ to come in our heart, we receive the Spirit of God in our hearts. And when we receive this Holy Spirit, He's on the boat. And He's on the boat with us. All throughout life, 24-7, no matter what we walk through. And so, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, let us think back to that night. But also, let's think about to today. And if you've made that decision to receive Christ as Savior... The Bible says that every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is a time where we reflect on our life and our walk with Him. And there'll be some things that you say, I've got to clean up in my life. And during these moments can be a time where you make those decisions and say, Lord, i got to get closer to you. And for some of you, this is going to be a time, it's just Thanksgiving. Because you've in the middle of a storm or you've just gone out of a storm. And you're so thankful for his presence and for his guidance through that. You allow God's spirit to speak to you as we participate in this Lord's Supper. So uh, let me lead us in a word of prayer. And after I lead us in a word of prayer for us to be getting our hearts ready, then uh, I will ask those that will be helping to distribute the elements to come forward and to begin that distribution. Let us pray. Heavenly Father. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And, you know, the, the Scripture says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so I thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And in these next few moments, we have an opportunity to remember, remember what Jesus did for us. And to remember that this was an act that took place close to 2,000 years ago, but it continues on to today. And that the effects of that, the salvation that is offered, the Holy Spirit that is promised, all of these things, Father, may we think on those things and be thankful for those. And at the same time, Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would intersect our hearts today and that we would open up all avenues of our life to you. And that in this service we would make commitments to say, God, I'm ready to be closer in my walk with you. Or maybe today is, God, I just want to thank you for how you have been so faithful. Use this time, Lord, for us to be connected to you in a really special way. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If those who are going to serve, if you'll come at this time.
just want to remind you that as you receive the elements, uh, if you'll just hold on to those, and, uh, and after everyone has the elements, everyone has been served, then I'll give you instructions for how we will partake on that. Use these moments to let God speak to your heart. Scripture tells us that uh, on that night, that uh, as they were eating that Passover meal, uh, they uh, came to a portion where uh, there was the bread, and Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And when he broke it, he told them, he says, this bread represents my body, which will be broken for you.
later in that, that dinner time, there came a time with the cup, and, um, and he looked at his uh, followers, his disciples, and he told them, he said, this cup uh, is a new covenant between God and man, and this covenant represents my blood, which will be shed for you. And then we understand that in the shedding of that blood that brought together that forgiveness of sins and so that we could come into that right relationship with God.